This is the Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Loki, Season 2, Episode 2, Breaking Brad. You just make everything worse. For Mobius, for B-15, for your mother. Because that's what you do. You lose. You're a loser. Loki. Stop trying to be a hero, man. You're a villain, and you're good at it. Do that. (laughs) (sighs) Thank you, Brad. Very much. I really am touched. You know, you're right. I have done some terrible... is who I am. He knows. It's the real me. A loser. Always have been. Always will be. And perhaps I've been holding something back. Loki. Perhaps I've just been biding my time. Perhaps I've just been waiting for a moment like this so I can do terrible, awful things to you. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. Yes, this is the Defenders podcast on TV Podcast Industries. And we're talking about the Lord of Mistress himself, Loki, coming back for Season 2. And more importantly, the second episode of Season 2, Breaking Brad. No, not Breaking Bad, because we're playing with puns here. Breaking Brad. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I am one of your hosts, Chris. I'm one of the hosts, Derek. Yes, welcome back, fellow Defenders. I am your third and final host, John. This is actually a pretty good episode, Zad. Hmm. Like, I personally, I was a bit like, I didn't know where they were going with it mm-hmm. midway through, but seeing Loki in his more mischievous self, yes, if you will, kind of does bring it back to, oh yeah, it's a bit of fun, bit of fun. Yeah. Bringing the fun back into fundamental TVA work. There were definitely good moments uh, in this episode, particularly the second time I watched it. The first time I watched it kind of washed over me because it's a relatively straightforward episode when yeah. you break it down. Um, and I think by the end of it, I was kind of going, yeah, I hope there's more in the third episode. <laughs> but but we will obviously get into the spoiler details of the episode yeah. uh, as we go into it. I, I've kind of flip-flopped on this a bit. Mm. I think uh, first time I watched it, I liked it. Second time, I liked it even more. I think this third time that I've watched it now and... You've gone all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, I, I like kind <laughs> of just... I wasn't kind of pumped for it, mm. I guess. Yeah. Maybe it was more I think, than that. Yeah, let's get, let's get, let's dive directly into it because there is a lot of good there is yes. some bad that we're discussed i think going through and doing what we do best which is three nerds sitting around a podcast screen discussing 
what we liked and disliked, and what we will really want to deep dive in this episode is what we do best. So, if you're joining us for Loki, don't forget to head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com, where you can subscribe and find all the links, all the places. You can rate us, review us, do all the things. But you can also email us your feedback, more importantly, to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com, where we're able to discuss your thoughts in each and every episode. Or you can also head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast energies where we have a spoiler post for each and every episode and you can leave just your thoughts there and we'll discuss them at the end of the episode with all that said and done Derek do you want to tell us who gave us what where when and how and when with the episode details Yes, Loki was created for TV by Michael Waldron. This episode was written by Eric Martin uh, who's written every episode of Loki this season very good. Yeah, um, so head writer, I guess. He's or lead pretty, writer. pretty much lead writer uh, yeah. for the show. Absolutely. I did hear a, a sad story uh, last week that um, when he when it came to the premiere, he was on Twitter saying, uh, I was so excited about this day. And then he got COVID. So he was stuck indoors uh, oh, doing no. a premiere on his own. Poor oh, dude. No. <laughs> Poor Eric. This episode is directed by Dan DeLeu. Uh, Dan is well known for his visual effects work for the MCU. He was the visual effects supervisor for Loki season one, along with visual effects for lots of MCU movies. And he was also the second unit director for Eternals, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and Avengers Endgame. Uh, has worked with them for many, many years. Excellent stuff. So we're not holding those last few bits of <laughs> Avengers oh, Endgame. Sorry. That's you're not good. holding. Yeah, but the other bits you're not. <laughs> I, I said it before on the record. Eternals is a great movie. So it is. Quantum Mania, maybe not so much. But the visual effects in Quantum Mania, for the most part, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There you go. All that said and done, it was a good one. So he gave us some interesting bits, and so did Eric the writer. John, do you want to tell us exactly what they gave us with your synopsis of this episode? Sure. Loki, Mobius and Hunter B-15 find and capture Hunter X-5 in London, 1977, on the Sacred Timeline, where he lives as a film actor Brad Wolf. Under interrogation, he admits to abandoning Doc's mission and reveals Sylvie's location. The group travel to Oklahoma and find her working in a McDonald's. Loki tries to remind her of their last encounter in the TVA's future, but she refuses to involve herself with the organisation. Meanwhile, OB attempts to repair the loom to safely accommodate the branching timelines, but discovers he cannot access it without help from the rogue Miss Minutes, who they discover has been working with Renslayer, or the deceased He Who Remains Aura. After Wolf gets increasingly agitated sat with Mobius in the McDonald's, he proclaims the group is in mortal danger. Sylvie enchants him, forcing him to reveal Dox's plan to simultaneously destroy the branching timelines. After returning Wolf to custody, Loki, Mobius and Sylvie capture Dox, but she has largely succeeded in her plan and some of her allies have also escaped. As TVA receptionist Casey tracks the rogue Ravona Renslayer's tempad on one of the remaining branching timelines, Sylvie, refusing to be involved any further, returns to McDonald's with he who remains tempad in her possession. Yes, a lot of McDonald's here. I found myself increasingly salivating through this episode for a double quarter pounder with cheese meal, actually, <laughs> making it... I thought you were going to say Tom Hiddleston, but... Uh... <laughs> well, <laughs> between two buns, who knows? Um, yes. 
and a, and a chocolate milkshake. And indeed, as soon as I saw the uh, little apple pie, I was like, Ooh. "Oh my god!" Right? Yeah, burnt mouth. That was the one that got mm, me. I was like, "Remember those with the they on they had the extra cinnamon, yeah. cinnamon flavor ones mm. at Christmas as well? They were gorgeous, if leafly hot." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, many, many an injury was made by eating that first thing. And you're, oh, 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 oh. But we're not here to talk about McDonald's placed injuries um, because there's probably quite a few. Mm-hmm. Yes. Don't they have the famous one that that's why uh, coffee all comes with the, with the symbol on it saying hot contents because yes, the woman yes. burnt herself at the drive-in at McDonald's. And I think it did, yeah. yes. Yeah. And it, they did on the... Uh, Molten apple pie as Eventually. well. Yes. yes, but not in 1982. Uh, so that's where yeah. Sylvie has chosen to live. It's still is before that time. Yeah. It is during molten yeah. apple pie time. We're at still yeah. living on the edge in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> Flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, exactly. But a quick, a quick note. I've seen many people say this. They went all out for that McDonald's and recreated it to the exact specifications of a 1982. U.S. coast or U.S. based McDonald's. Yes, it is in the country. They went that like they went deep on it. Mm-hmm. Very few people will remember the exact, but like, well <laughs> done to the set. The set Absolutely. designers, everyone. Do you know what? We have the Marvel cash. Disney can bankroll us. McDonald's are in. Let's go into the archives and like recreate it bit by so. I suspect they had the McDonald's cash as well here. Yes. Um, Talk about product placement. I think we are jumping into my big negative from the episode before we even get there. So uh, so we'll hold off on that for the moment. Shall we get into the top five variants Mm -hmm. then? Yes. Let's start off with variant number one. Back in London... Back in the swinging 70s of 1977. (laughs) It was called the swinging 70s. That's the swinging 60s, Chris. Yes, hey, look, the way that Brad is dressed, come on, with that flamboyantness, with the cravat or the kind of ruffles that uh, one only Loki is wearing in his suit, mm-hmm. I think it could be seen as the swinging 70s. <laughs> it's very ruffly. It is. Anyway, it they could. go to a premiere it- to find Brad. Yeah, exactly. And of course, my, my birth year, so all good. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know? It's kind of fun, isn't it? That they're in London, 1977. Uh, you were born in 1977, and your birthday is next week. So it's kind of fun that this has landed uh, at this yeah, particular exactly. time. And Star Wars well. released on my birthday well, yeah. as well. Yeah. That's Fantastic. Right. I, I was predestined, as Sylvie would say, to be a nerd. The TVA is obviously working its. It's timey-wimey magic uh, on my sacred timeline. Absolutely. But <laughs> but I do really like this idea. You know, this, this stems from the discussion that we saw uh, last week and, of course, from um, the argument that was going on at the TVA where uh, everybody there was being told you were all plucked from the timeline. So we see here that X5, um, who we thought was kind of the villainous character, has effectively jumped in and created his own life. As a superstar yeah. actor, <laughs> you know, yeah. I love that one of the uh, one of the people who's interviewing him on the, as he goes into his premiere uh, goes to him. How do you feel about your meteoric success? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like I got here a week ago and now I'm the biggest superstar in the world. But he's probably been there a little while longer. That's how time travel works, I guess. He's probably been there a while setting up his career. Yeah, I like this. I like the feel of it. Uh, certainly with the Zaniac, the movie, and I, I enjoyed Mobius saying, you know, for the fans, when will we get Zaniac two and uh-huh. stuff? As he kind of first approaches him uh, but i really like this and actually i think one of the best things for me about this episode was 
was actually Hunter X5. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed Raphael Kessel here. Um, because the Hunters are such a big part of this with, certainly with Hunter B15. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wondered whether Hunter X5 was just going to be a bit, a bit part. But certainly for this episode, I really just enjoyed the range that we got here yeah. from Hunter X5. Um, I enjoyed just all the one-on-ones with Loki. I know that's some of our other variant points, but mm-hmm. here again, you know, after he's been chased, um, you know, and caught by Loki, uh, I just really enjoyed seeing Loki's horns back and mm-hmm. uh, what 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 did Mobius call it? The shadow play, you yes, know, as the shadows sort of pin um, Hunter X5 and just the whole sort of new life that he's created on this timeline, you know, as Brad Wolf, as this superstar yeah. uh, movie actor and, you know, going to the premiere, all that kind of stuff. I really enjoyed sort of the, just the feel of uh, 1977's London here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was a complaint we had in season one uh, at the first couple of episodes of the show. Uh, they basically nerfed Loki's uh, by putting him in the TVA. He's not able to use magic at all. So they had loads of scenes with him, you know, throwing up his hands, trying to do some magic and he can't do it. Whereas here he's on the sacred timeline. He's in 1977. He's able to yeah. use his magic and uses it with full force. It's, it's definitely one of the best uh, parts of this episode. I really enjoyed him using his duplication ability yeah. uh, where you see him oh, appearing good. in the middle so of a crowd good. as, uh, as, um, X5 is running around through that crowd. I thought that was really good. Uh, and then them in triplicate and using the, the shadow Lokis to, uh, to, to block well, them off. That was cool. Yeah, I like what Brad says, you know, quit with the magic, fight fair. Mm-hmm. And Loki just says, it's not a fair not fight. A fair and again, fight. I think Tom Hiddleston, just his delivery here mm-hmm. with um, Brad Wolf uh, was just really good. I really enjoyed their sort of back and forth mm-hmm. uh, throughout this episode. And, and this kind of set it up for me yeah. Um, yeah. with these two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Tom Hiddleston as Loki. While I really enjoyed season one upon my second viewing of it as a whole, kind of before this season two kicked off, I was like, oh, I see some of the issues that now upon light being shined on. I'm like, they did, like you said, they nerfed him. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that somewhat in this episode we're starting to see what i would consider kind of core loki good like the loki that we all enjoyed the reason we wanted him yeah and like from say thor ragnarok where he was kind of this larger life character the reason he got a spin-off the Mm -hmm. reason he is like the way it is yeah um and i enjoyed this this bit with zaniac and brad wolf choosing as Hunter X5 to become this Z-list 1970s, 60s character. <laughs> They're saying like, A-list, Chris. They're saying A-list. <laughs> well, f- pulled from the, the the annals of kind of comic books because we had seen Zaniac in the trailer and everyone thought this was going to be a big thing. Oh, okay. Everyone, like, from the trailers, all of the, the YouTube personalities who dissect everything was like oh my god they're gonna make this zaniac who is like possessed by a demon and he's part of the manhattan where he gets induced with radiation from the manhattan project so he's gonna be like no no it's basically they have hunter x5 assume this name and it's a film he was in there you go that's your easter egg 
I, Let's move on. <laughs> I, I definitely liked where you know Mobius was saying, "I you know I like the it's it's a horror movie," and he's like, "No, it's a dark, th- intense thriller, Eleva- elevated thriller, <laughs> an yes. elevated thriller." Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I just thought that was yeah. really good. It's like so it probably is slightly Z listing. I would say. I, um, I think in terms of the character, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nobody who watched uh, that trailer knew who Zaniac was without googling <laughs> yes. Marvel characters in case there could possibly be one called Zaniac. He appeared in about four issues, I think, of, yeah. uh, of Marvel yeah. Comics. So I, I don't know him. I have no idea at all. All I know from my reading is that uh, he had has taken multiple forms, and one of those is a character called Brad Wolf in the comics. So they yeah. did connect those two things together in this telling of an actor playing a role in a movie called Zaniac. So that's yeah. the only thing I know about it, uh, and that's from my googling. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, but it is it's a, a fun little nod, and uh, definitely yeah turned uh, a lot of a lot of YouTubers onto uh, onto investigations that will ultimately go nowhere. Yeah, yeah that's the fun part of it. <laughs> but I, I look for me, I always enjoy when they go when they go to the sacred timeline or where they go to uh, like a non-TVA place because you do get to see them play with the the costumes, the sets and they get to you kind of get this fun Mobius Loki back and forth. For me this was just a good scene leading to where they need to get to yeah. which is yeah. like McDonald's. I I will say though um, I think when I watched the episode, I, I said I can tell that this show is written by somebody that's younger than me, <laughs> because uh, the group that's surrounding um, X Five when he comes out are just filled with like every type of uh, of music fan or a teenager from the seventies. Like they have mods and they have uh, punks all standing beside each other. Having they seem to be having some kind of argy bargy beforehand, um, but you don't see that for long. It just seems they all turn on X Five and start uh, giving out to him because yeah. he's wearing a suit effect. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I thought, is that because the writer has seen pictures of people from the 70s and thinks that they all hung around in gangs together or all went to the same bars? Like, it would be very rare you'd have these uh, these groups uh, anywhere together. But um, it seems like those are all projections from Loki. So maybe it's well, just how I Loki that doesn't yeah. know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that these groups wouldn't hang out together. Yeah. 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 That's how it's I took it, because... Yeah, you see Brad Wolf swinging at one of them try, mm-hmm. uh, as he tries to defend himself with uh, a pipe, and it it, go, it just goes through him, and it goes green. Yeah, so uh, maybe Loki had seen some of the riots from the 70s and just maybe. had created that image around them. Maybe <laughs> yes. that's what it was. Uh, one other thing about this scene, a little Easter egg that's in there. Um, there's a poster for a movie by a movie featuring uh, a main character from The Eternals. We have a poster of a Kingo movie uh, that Aww, that you see uh, right at the start. Yeah. So it's because uh, it, I didn't notice it until the second or third time, even that I watched it. It's just right at the start when Loki and Mobius are talking to each other as they arrive in 1977. The minute they start walking, uh, so they have their whole conversation. They start walking. There's a poster on the left hand wall there uh, featuring Kingo. So uh, I think they did that in Miss Marvel as well. And at least in one of the other shows where they had um, images of Kingo movies in the background. Um, so there's your one for uh, your one for Loki season Excellent two. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. Excellent. Keeping Kingo's movie career alive. <laughs> <laughs> one film at a time. Mm-hmm. Should we move on to variant number two, Jens? Absolutely. Let us get into... Uh, yeah, OB and Casey find a problem. In fact, they find a number of problems they do. or issues or potential threats mm-hmm. uh, here. I or think. we're all going to die. We're all going to die, as OB says. Yeah. <laughs> 
Not dramatic whatsoever. <laughs> no, no, no. I do love that. I do love that. Uh, kind of cool to see uh, Obi and Casey together here. Casey's got a much big, bigger role uh, this season than he had uh, in last season. But um, but I like that we have a guy nerding out over Obi because, hey, look, it's Kehu Kwan. Uh, you got to have somebody that uh, speaks for the audience here at uh, meeting Kehu Kwan and uh, getting all nerding out about him. <laughs> That's it. But I, I did kind of like that because you, you had uh, B-15 you know, basically these containment doors are locked. There's a need to override them, like, critically. Otherwise, there'll be an overloaded system. And Casey's trying to get, a, you know, an autograph uh, for OB, the the author of the TVA Orange Technical Manual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B-15's just like, hey, guys, <laughs> can, we, can we focus, please? Um, but I like that because you have that from OB when... The tempad that they've taken from, or the modified tempad that uh, Loki and Mobius have brought back from London, um, that Brad was using, mm-hmm. um, they they're going to try and get that seen to by by Obi, and yep. he's like, "Look, guys, the loom's in bad shape. You know, I'm trying to sort out all these new branches to prevent it from this temporal meltdown," and it's like. Is the tempad a higher priority than that? It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. we'll try and fix it. And you've kind of got Loki all fingers and thumbs trying to sort of look into uh Wolf's uh sort of modified tempad mm-hmm. using the, the manual. So I kinda I thought that was a good bit of fun yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I look for me, OB any scene with OB is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy it. Putting, as you said, Casey has the bigger, he was somewhat of a standout in, se- in season one or a fan favorite, not standout, but a fan favorite. Um, so seeing him here, kind of having the role expanded and seeing him work alongside his mentor, um, or not his mentor, but his, his hero. His hero. Yeah. It's a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Like, remember, he's, he's telling them that he's practically memorized the TVA manual, and we saw Mobius trying to use it. Mobius is in a pretty high position in the TVA, and Mobius is trying to just look through it and going, I don't even know if this is the right way up or not. <laughs> Have I skipped some pages here? How the hell do I use this thing? Casey, on the other hand, is uh, is very knowledgeable about this. Uh, much more technical guy, obviously, than Mobius. Just slightly. Just slightly. But look, th- this is fun, that this is that they... They get the loom. They see the, uh, the 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 problem being is that he remains as the only one, and you kind of set you on your path. Like they they now need, like they they well they know they know what their MacGuffin is. They know what they need to do in order to save the universe. Kind of what they realize is that he who remains is the only person that can access it. They need his temporal aura to be able to access this. And he who remains is dead because Sylvie killed him. So they're kind of going, okay, um, not sure if we have a plan B here. Maybe we need Miss Minutes here. And Miss Minutes has been gone for the entire well, two that's episodes. It. There, so, yeah. there is another in that Miss Minutes can deactivate it. So you yeah. hear Obi saying this, but it then links to Casey's, uh, you know, he he's he's kind of been trying to sort of locate Renslayer and all mm-hmm. that. And from uh, one of the tempads, uh, you you realize he realizes that Renslayer's one of her last communications was to Miss Minutes, mm-hmm. and that yeah. Miss Minutes has been helping Renslayer, and um, that she's been working with 
he who remains yep. ultimately. So again, they probably aren't entirely sure what that means, mm-hmm. but they know that he who remains is dead. And you've got this AWOL, Miss Minutes and Renslayer still uh, in the ether. And it's unlikely that, you know, Obi's back backup, which will be to get Miss Minutes to deactivate everything is going to happen. So, I mean, at the moment, I guess you've got this pressure cooker of a time loon mm-hmm. uh, waiting to sort of just blow up with yep. all the, the, the branching timelines. Absolutely. Do you think there was a little... Um hidden joke in there that it's about getting um rogue ai back to work is how is the only way they can solve the problem <laughs> to save, <laughs> save all the humans uh getting rogue ai back to work i know this was all written and done before the writer's strike but i thought that was uh that was quite prophetic given what was given what was uh in the arguments with the uh with ai uh, going yeah. rogue it certainly <laughs> lends itself yeah. uh, quite nicely to the the current situation i guess absolutely yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I really want that to be true. It's kind of like yeah, there's, exactly. a, there's a video game called Death Stranding mm-hmm. written by Hideo Kojima, which is literally about a, a virus and everyone's living in shelters and only certain delivery people kind of are, are able to kind of go across the United States. And it came out just before COVID. Mm. Um, and everyone was like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, so it's only, well, okay, I say just before, six months before. But it was still like, yeah, this is too close for comfort. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'd love to say that the writers are prophetic, but uh, I just think they, 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 they read the tea leaves too well. Well, absolutely. Like AI obviously has yes. been uh, has been very central to uh, to science fiction for quite a long time, uh, going back to things yes. like uh, like Terminator, where uh, where things became sentient. Uh, Skynet became sentient and uh, destroyed they the planet. Don't talk right? about Skynet. So, yeah. Don't talk about Skynet because he can hear. They did. Can hear. They did change the name for the sequels, didn't they? It wasn't Skynet in the sequels. Yes, yeah, so uh, Google. I mean, um, <laughs> it was something else. Yes. <laughs> anyway, let's get out of that and move on to our variant number three. Uh, this, I think, is probably uh, another of the best moments in the episode. Breaking Brad with the ever decreasing cage uh, as Loki seems to take back his mischievous side. Uh, but this is all after the initial confrontation between B-15, Mobius, uh, Loki, trying to get the information out of Brad. And it seems like Brad's very good at pushing every single person's buttons. Uh, starts with B-15 um, saying to her, you informed us all that we had a place in the timeline. I've gone out and taken my place in the timeline. So what exactly are you pissed off about? What exactly have you got a problem with here? I've done exactly what you told me to do. Um, then Loki jumps in saying, but people's lives are at stake. And he just laughs in Loki's face going, you've killed so many people effectively. You've put everybody's life in danger multiple times. Yeah. What's your problem here? Including your mother. And then you see a little a little look from Loki there um, that looks like he's really getting to him, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I kind of, I just thought this whole sequence of breaking Brad was good because it was like, I mean, you know, round one, it's just that swagger mm-hmm. of yeah. Brad Wolf, you know, totally unfazed with the three of them in in his cell ultimately he thinks he's getting at loki but it ultimately it becomes mobius that he is getting under the skin of mm. and it, it is nicely tense because you think something's going to sort of come from loki when in fact it, it's the it's the jibes that are coming from brad that mm-hmm. mobius reacts to you know and i, I kind of liked that and I like the kind of aftermath of it, where 
Mobius is going, no, I didn't lose my cool. It was tactical. Um, it's like, I was following you. And Loki's just like, you were clearly in front of me. I was yeah. following you. <laughs> um, you know, followed by the key line conversations mm-hmm. uh, between the two ways. Just, you know, it's like, yeah, that wasn't tactical. I lost my cool, you know. Um, but you get that little insight as to why, you know, Mobius, a little bit conflicted here. You mm. know, the, the TVA is my only life, but it's not if I see my life on the timeline being bad it's if it's better than what it is now that's when i'm not going to be able to deal with it so it's that kind of you know i get mobius saying this is the life i've only known so i'm happy with Mm -hmm. it but if i peer through the looking glass and see a better life i'll know what's been taken away from me i can handle a worse life because i've enjoyed this life Mm -hmm. you know so i i kind of liked how that element of Mobius here, um, you know, kind of got pulled out uh, from from these scenes yeah. as well. And yeah. Mobius is a good sidekick to Loki, and th- this this episode did remind me of that. You know, all um, all this pitter patter sort of on the sidelines, whether it was in London um, or here in the interrogation room. I, I kind of. I really enjoyed it. And then moving into round two with the, yeah, the ever decreasing cage. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked, it. although I was there going, he's locked it from the inside of the cell. What? But obviously it was just an act, but I he didn't Brad understand that. Like they have, you know, the it's guards. a cell. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cell. You so, can't lock it from inside, or else like, there would be no hey, point in having it as a cell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was a little weird. The key line was very green as well. Maybe it is that green in real life, but it looked really, really green. It and is, I, felt, I want to try that color. That looks neon. It does. Doesn't I it? was like, I will, I will try you. <laughs> I, I feel that there's probably very little lime in you, and mostly like. Colorant B5. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought, do you eat that and come out like Monty Burns in The Simpsons where on, on the X-Files episode where he's floating around uh, a luminescent green in Maybe. the forest? No, you come out as Zania. Well, um, although, weirdly, I don't know what it was, but that key lime conversation scene, I really enjoyed it, but I couldn't help but notice the two of them avoiding eating the key lime it was like i think uh i think loki got a lot of cream there i think it was mainly eating cream rather than the actual pie they do say acting with food is one of the most difficult yeah. things to do because if you're especially if you're doing a scene with a lot of dialogue you probably have to film that over hours so the chances of you being able to get the take right and eating yeah. the right amount of the key lime pie you know you'd probably have to run through the scene yeah. in total 20 times and then try and match up the, the the key lime pie, you either don't have it on screen or you don't eat it. I think that's uh, why I was probably yeah. watching it because I'm kind of fascinated at food scenes in, mm-hmm. in oh, shows. Oh, I thought you just meant by key lime pie in general. <laughs> well, I, I kind of am after seeing how green it was. To me, that... Really? That, I know. To me, that's an aesthetic choice. It's something like that's what you'd see in 1950s movies and TV shows. You'd see yeah, that I kind so. of thing or 1960s kind of TV shows and movies. And the style of the TVA, it is all about style. They've got a great designer uh, working in the TVA stuff. So it feels exactly what you would get in that kind of 
Jetson's world of uh, of um, that automat uh, delivering the food. That's the kind of stuff you'd see. And I think I wonder if you put that side by side with Agent Carter, um, which was based in that kind of era. I wonder would you see uh, some similarities between uh, between Maybe. how that's all yeah, set out the automat? Because yeah. I know she worked in one, didn't she? Or she went to yeah. one of her friends worked in one. That's yeah. What it was. yeah, but it is a really interesting scene. I wonder. Like, I, I guess maybe x5 did know that loki locked the door but he still had to call for mobius because loki wasn't going to help him yeah so maybe that's it maybe maybe he was trying to go look i, I know you can open the door from the outside open the door open the door no, <laughs> yeah. absolutely and but i, I love yeah. it with, with round two but I, Mobius I just, is a great actor you see <laughs> yeah but also with round two i think um just that loki is kind of repeating back to to um, Brad, everything he said mm-hmm. from round one to Absolutely. try and get under Loki's skin, and I kind of liked how that played out, mm-hmm. you know, because um, especially whereas I'm not trying to be a hero because I've done a lot of very bad stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed that aspect to it, although it was kind of nice symmetry, I guess, uh, of these two rounds mm-hmm. of interrogation, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Round one and or the key line pie scene was very much Owen Wilson. Like Mobius was Owen Wilson. It was, oh, wow. Just that's all. <laughs> I, just, it just, I, for whatever reason, it, it just, and I liked Mobius as a character. Yeah, yeah. It's just for here, I just, it was wedding crashers. It was just. Really? Owen. It was just Owen Wilson for me. And I was like. <laughs> the key line pie scene where he's talking about, like, possibly everything being worse from if he goes back and finds something uh, good in his life is there rather than the TVA. That felt like Mobius. That didn't feel like Owen Wilson. I don't think he's ever had a serious role like this before, uh, in, before that scene. I know he's had some serious movies. Don't get me wrong. Yes. What was the one with the dog? There was one with the dog. But anyway, it just felt very Owen Wilson. It, it, it kind of almost got, it, for me, for whatever reason, just kind of, for I don't know, I zeroed out on Mobius being Mobius and it was just very Owen Wilson. Yeah. Okay. That being said, this scene, the second, the act two, as you call it, with the, the kind of interrogation, with actual Tom Hiddleston, Loki being, oh yeah, no, I'm a bad guy. That... I I really enjoyed that yeah. because that really was like, oh yeah, are they going to do this? Yeah, are they actually going to make Loki kind of Breaking Bad? Is he going to go a bit kind of yeah, no, um, off the reservation yeah. because then you get this potential what Loki was supposed to be and what is in the comics an antihero. Mm-hmm. He, he's not Punisher level, but like. He's a bad guy who will do a bad thing for the greater good. And with the magic as well earlier on and this kind of mischievous sort of Machiavellian type style as well, it it felt like, you know, really good lean into Loki um, Mm. from the comics, as you say, um, but even from the earlier movies. So I I really enjoyed these um, for sure. I have to say it's also really well acted because yeah. obviously yes. there's no box there <laughs> it doesn't exist <laughs> yeah. so just seeing the two of them react to the chair being crushed in the middle of the room i thought was a great opener yeah. uh, a great starter for 10 from loki to go uh that could be you inside this basically oops <laughs> i've made a mistake and then seeing uh loki start to shrink that box around brad when he's inside it i thought was really yeah, good it was really uh, as, really good uh, yeah really tense and uh, that's the thing i think Raphael Castle here, who plays Brad Wolf, mm-hmm. 
um, Hunter X5. I just think his bounce be- between uh, himself and uh, Tom Hiddleston, I just thought they were really good. I think mm-hmm. it, it really worked. There was, there was some sort of chemistry uh, that yeah. works so well in these scenes between these two. And I mm-hmm. really, really kind of, I kind of, it was the big thing I took from this episode was that. And I think with Mobius there as well. Um, so, but certainly those two, mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoyed them sort of bouncing off one another Absolutely. in these scenes, you know, as we've said a th- few times. Do you times. think they took like mime mastery courses? The, <laughs> yeah. You're in a glass box yeah. and the box is getting smaller. <laughs> well, what? Like it was really well done that. And I mean, yeah. um, you know that must be pretty difficult as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, really good. And and this is what leads them to getting the information for the most part that they need. Yeah. Um, he tells them that uh, Sylvie has decided to take a residence on a completely different branched timeline. Uh, he was sent there uh, to go and collect her. He did see her there and left her behind, and then went off and taking and took his place uh, in 1977. So, um, are we to read from that that Sylvie's the one that convinced him? to just go off and pick up his own life since she has got her own life um is there something that's not on screen here is there something that's happened between the two of them that he's that that she said it or did he just see her life and go oh i could do that as well i I kind of took it more like that to be honest Mm. yeah yeah Yeah, i took the secondary yeah yeah the latter um because again like sylvie just she up and left six which is perfect it moves us on to variant number four because sylvie is Living her best life, mm. La Vida Loca, in 1980s McDonald's. Yeah. Like, it's great. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Well, me. Uh, 100% <laughs> me, Chris. Uh, this is um, this is really bad. Um, and and <laughs> it was worse every time I watched the episode. I noticed even more things. It's like as if McDonald's came in and read over the script. You remember those those whole stories in the past about the U.S. Army coming in and helping out when um, firearms needed to be used. So people started to say that they were ways of recruiting people to join the army, right? So when you had an action movie, it was the U.S. Army that was actually writing those scenes so that they could recruit people into the army. That's what this felt like. This felt like McDonald's wrote the script so they were, could recruit people, not only to go out and eat current mcdonald's food but to think of a simpler time when they weren't bound by all the restrictions that have been put on them since the 90s go back to 1982 when we used to burn your mouth on an apple pie but you say it's the greatest apple pie you've ever tasted (laughs) it was really bad not only have we got the god of mischief remember sylvie is a variant of loki right she's not just her own character she is a goddess of mischief Yet she's a model employee for McDonald's in 1982, already filling up the straws before you even have to ask her to the 20-year-old manager who's 20 years her junior. Um, they are trying to recreate a perfect McDonald's situation and say how wonderful it would be to live here. And I want to stress that again. Sylvie seems to live in McDonald's. She's got a pickup truck parked outside. And when she returns there, she sits on the front of the pickup truck at McDonald's waiting for her next shift to start the next day. Oh, Wow, how does sponsorship from McDonald's get this much in these episodes? Was the budget cut so much from Loki season one to season two that they had to have 
pumped in money from McDonald's <laughs> to get the season made? Is that what happened? I guess it's the making of that we're just going to have to watch here. They'll completely ignore it. They'll completely <laughs> ignore they it. Will. They'll pretend they wasn't it nice to have this partnership like we used to have in the old days with superhero movies getting superhero toys in your McDonald's. Well, but it, this is so much of an ad for McDonald's. Well, I did feel like Simpsons did it again, like you were saying about the, the army being involved <laughs> with, you know, the Simpsons and join the Navy and the boy band. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, but this is... Come work for McDonald's. Have a yeah, boss who's exactly. 20 years younger Eat than you McDonald's. telling you what to do, who gets his mom to drive him home from work, because that's the perfect life, and that's the place you should want to live. <laughs> it was a l- little weird, I have to say. I took it as ultimate satire. Like, really on the nose. Like, you would either think this is amazing, or you understand that they are ripping the living hell jokes out of this. Because I did take it as a very much a, sat- a satirical, the best place in the world is a McDonald's, is that no way in any universe or any timeline the best place in the world to be. Um, I took it as like literally very tongue-in-cheek, but I understand. I, I don't know how you would distinguish the two of those things against each other, Chris, because you walk into your local McDonald's right now and it is sponsored by Loki. They have set up an, a new, a, an interior of McDonald's in some in some places in the US to look like it did in the 80s to tie in with the, with Loki with the TV show. You can walk in and get special meals that look like the meals from Loki that's been going on for more than a month now before the show launched. So oh, so know. they've had sign off on everything that's gone into the show it seems like. So they are creating the greatest place on earth. And if you have a 6-year-old watching the Loki TV show it's an MCU show made for all audiences. They're going to go I want to go and get one of those uh, apple pies and burn my mouth. Uh, it, it's the, the point. I will, I will do that with my son. I will do that. And it's going to be a teachable moment. <laughs> it's kind of like, when you, it's like that point where you like back in the, back in the yesteryear, you would take your son out hunting and let them go into the wild and they would come back with a hair. It was a long a cross, time ago. Yes, exactly. Mm. Very long time ago. And they would come back with a hair or nothing, and if they came back with nothing, they would have no food. But now I will let my son loose and go to McDonald's, and if he comes back with a Big Mac or a, 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 an apple pie, I will say, which will you eat? And he will eat the apple pie and burn the living hell out of his mouth, and I'll be like, well, yeah. that is a teachable moment. I, you should have gone for the Big Mac, yeah. which is 4,000 calories, but you will be hungry again in five minutes. I think the teachable moment there is probably about litigation against a company that would sell uh, sell that to a child. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I think more of my problem is this scene could take place absolutely anywhere. She could be working in a generic bar, serving beers behind the bar, some whiskeys, have exactly the same conversation outside, but just there's so much stress on the fact that you have to have the uh, the golden arch in the background of all scenes to make sure that you know this is definitely a McDonald's, that she has her five-minute break, remember, because uh, that, that's what good workers get when they work for McDonald's. They only get five-minute break. They can only have personal conversations between those times, just training up the next generation of McDonald's workers here with our 10-minute uh, spot in this Loki episode. Yeah. It was really, I, I, honestly, I don't, I don't go very negative very often, but this was the most negative I can be because we already talked about in episode one how much McDonald's placement was in there and now there's more. I, I, do, I do think um, it's, you know, to what extent was it a creative choice by the writers mm-hmm. to have McDonald's in there and to what extent was we need to partner? So it became a corporate thing yeah. of we need yeah. to partner and so, yeah, we're going to set all this scene in McDonald's and it's like, okay. And I mean, actually, I think 
you you were saying how Mobius was more Owen Wilson in the scene yeah. with the key lime pie. I thought it was in the McDonald's mm-hmm. with, with Brad, where he's like, you know, I thought we could sit down here and have yeah, a, okay, a lovely fair, dinner, yes. you know, kind of thing. Again, no, can I just read out the line that Mobius actually says? Oh, well, that's true. I thought we were this was going to be a trap, but here we are for a lovely dinner. Underline lovely dinner from McDonald's. Uh, can you make sure that Owen Wilson says that because we can't get him for an advert, but we can get him to say it in the show to support McDonald's again. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is kind My of corporate sponsorship gone crazy. Yeah. So it was it was kind of a li- that felt a little out of place. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I just don't know. I mean, it's. Just, I got you a milkshake, John. Will that much cheer you up? <laughs> I, for me, it's just I'm trying to reconcile why why a McDonald's restaurant is just the center of this because I don't ultimately, unless it is just pure and utter satire that I'm just not getting from it. But I look, it's either satire or cor- corporate sponsorship. Yeah. it is one or the other. Uh, I just, say yeah. the writers would like to say it's satire, probably the the. Probably the truth is it's corporate. Someone said the actual actual truth is somewhere in between. Yeah, exactly. They they said corporate went. You need to put a McDonald's in here. Writers went. Well, we're going to make fun of them, and it got rewrote about four times to what it is now. So it's a very much in the middle piece. What I disliked on this Sylvie thing is not the McDonald's. It's not any of that. It's literally just. I, Derek, you said like. This could have taken place anywhere. Mm-hmm. The other point is, this could have not, like, this doesn't need to take place. Like, okay. the, the actual Sylvie conversation where she's angry at Loki, like, she kicked him. She, mo- like, she pushed him out. Mm-hmm. And then she's annoyed that he's back working at TVA. Well, well, yeah, because, like, you got rid of him and he, like, destroyed the universe and now he's turning up, like, it just, I think the problem with this that really kind of the issue is that like he's puppy long kind of kind of puppy eyes at her, and she's just so standoffish and aggressive. Mm. So kind of it just felt this probably would have been better somewhere else if it was a more quiet not-in-your-face situation where it was in a room and they are able to have a sit-down and they could have had a proper conversation. It just felt so... I don't know. Something about this just was like, no, that's a terrible way to reintroduce Sylvie. Okay. Like, it just didn't feel like it meshed for me. Mm. And I think that's where I was like, something's up with her character. She just... She's off. And And then it just... It kind of rolls quickly into the next scene because mm. you're just basically on a five minute yeah. break oh the world's gonna end okay let's whoomp, let's go yeah. like it just felt very i felt you could have know. spent more time with loki and sylvie because i did like their initial awkward interaction mm-hmm. and weirdly of all of it here i enjoyed that i actually enjoyed some of the music in this scene that kind of gave that sense of awkwardness between the two. But I do f- agree with you. I think there's so much kind of extraneous stuff around having to talk about 
10 minute break i'm on my 10 minute break or and cut you're, to milkshake yeah cut back yeah and you're having yeah. a lovely meal i thought we were going to sit here and have a lovely meal da, 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 rather than having loki and sylvie mm-hmm. having that chat and in a sense you know seeing brad getting more agitated in their presence because he knows the plan of docs that's happening you know and because interestingly one of those multitude of branches that doesn't get destroyed is the one with the mcdonald's in it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that was kind of interesting and maybe it is the safest place in the entire (laughs) universe to live (laughs) it's the safest and corporate sponsorship universe yeah exactly mcdonald's timeline where Um, where the whole where the whole timeline is just a mcdonald's and but no let's kind of roll it back let's roll it back up a little bit just to make sure we're really clear on what the story is here from sylvie sylvie pushed um loki out of uh, he he remains the place at the end of uh, at the end of time. She kicked him out and made her choice, and her choice was give everybody choice again because he who remains had sewn up the timeline so that everything had to happen the way yeah. he predicted it happening. She created choice for everybody, and then her choice was to go and live in a branch timeline. That that was her choice. Yeah. She made that choice, and then suddenly, out of nowhere. Loki walks in and goes, I found another problem in the TVA. You need to come back with me and sort it out. And she's going, absolutely not. Not getting involved. I hung up my horns. And he's going, but I saw the future. (laughs) And I saw that you were there. So therefore, you have to be involved in this. And she's going, absolutely not. I made my choice. You make your choice. F off. And that sounds like a predestined future. Exactly. Which is what she was going Which is what she got rid of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I understand the argument. I understand why she doesn't want to get back involved again, because that was her choice, was to get out of it and not be involved anymore. She had been on this path since she got kidnapped as a child, effectively, for being a female Loki by the TVA, right? that's her. That was her whole story throughout season one. So she has yeah. chosen to step off that path, go on to a branch timeline, and live her out her life simply. And then Loki walks back into her life and goes hang on a second, I need to drag you back in again. Yeah, so I think the scene makes sense and I think her anger and aggression with him makes sense, but just didn't need to happen in McDonald's. And and towards the TVA as well. 100%, yeah, they're the ones that stole her from her life when she was a kid. Okay, you saying that to me, Mm -hmm. you reminding me of those parts (laughs) makes me go, okay, Mm -hmm. now I understand. So then, in truth, what that scene is actually missing is that narrative Basil exposition. <laughs> Honestly, like because yeah. it's just her saying they they kidnapped the TVA. You're working with them. They kidnapped me as a kid, mm-hmm. and I've been on the run from them forever because of them. Like, yeah, so her just saying that would have yeah, brought it back. Yeah, but they were having to write McDonald's corporate speech exactly. into it. Of I'm only I can only have uh, my. 10 minute lunch break now right. before yes. I have to get back and fill up the straw holders yeah. and the napkin holders and then clear everything. You know, yeah. that I was the waffle. The problem, that was the waffle in these scenes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think they, they, so I think, look, they, there is there problems with the scene? Yes. Yes. Be it for whatever reason you feel that this scene just doesn't gel 100%. Mm. There's some funny moments, some funny yeah. words, but it, it's a real shame. Because, exactly. like, Sylvie is such a, you know, or should be another central variant to yeah, the absolutely. Loki that we know. And was she what... was great in season exactly. one. Exactly. She was yeah. standout. The actress, Sophia de Martino, like, for me, was mm-hmm. 
like one of the best parts. Like she, outside of Tom Hiddleston, she, I remember saying like she hadn't seen much of her before and her coming in. And I was like, breath of fresh air. I love this. I love this. this Absolutely. And she will be again. You know, we don't, we, we can't, you know, say there's not going to be more of Sylvie this season. This is only the second episode. She, she is the other major yes, character true. in the season. We've got four or five yeah. major characters in Loki. Uh, it's not just the Tom Hiddleston's show that we thought season one was going to be. Yes, we have exactly. five or six major characters and Sylvie's definitely one of them. We know she's coming back. He's already seen the future and seen her, right? So we, yeah, so we, yeah. so we know Sylvie's coming back. But this way of introducing her, I think uh, that scene worked well. I get it. Uh, maybe just the previously on, the beginning might have had her speak a little bit of her speech from Loki yeah, season exactly. one where she explains what happened to her um that might have helped as well um but she is brought along on uh on the adventure effectively because mobius does convince uh x5 to tell the story what what actually is happening they are blowing up timelines docs has her plan that is to blow up every timeline which will yeah. include sylvie's and will kill everybody there and this quiet life that she's found yeah, for and herself. to preserve the sacred timeline to get it back to and regain this order which i think brings us on to our very number five dox's plan i enjoyed this part yeah dox's plan is effectively to go with the plan of he who remains create a brand new sacred timeline from this point onwards and destroy all of the branches that have been created yeah. when sylvie killed them um, so yeah. we have this really interesting one where everybody sat down together and went, uh, okay, we can't do that. He remains. This is who he is. He's evil. And Docs just went, no, don't care. I've lived my life in the TVA. I have pruned, uh, pruned um, branches off the timeline to create a sacred timeline for as long as I can remember, which could be thousands of years, remember, um, and just goes, I'm just going to go along with that plan. And I'm going to take everybody else with me and destroy branch after branch after branch, killing billions of people um i don't know whether this comes across that well in the show i know that all the cast all of our major cast are together watching the screen where all the timelines are and the branches are getting erased and they're reacting going that's billions of lives when misaku as as uh, as hunter b15 is going that's billions of people there that's everybody being lost I don't know whether that comes across as as a such a big thing when you're seeing a dot matrix TV with lines being erased from uh, from there. Uh, she's selling it quite well, but I don't know whether the stakes are coming across as big as they are. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's because you, you get the flashbacks to them leaving and going on this operation, mm. you know, but you're kind of wondering how are the other members in the war room and. Mm -hmm. You know, you th and Hunter B15 and even the guy who is kind of arresting people at the end, you know, how are they not reacting to it? How has she been able to mobilize all this stuff mm. to, to do it? Um, it almost feels like it, I, yes, it's been done in secret. I get it, but mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to have been kept hugely secret and then. It's just happening. I know what you mean. It's it's like as if you'd need some something about how are they hiding it from everybody else? Because it seemed like quite out in the open that they had all these doors and people traveling uh, in and out exactly. of them. Exactly. Dropping off the, the wiping bombs. 
And it's, it's even just with Brad, the one little thing I would have liked some explanation. And maybe we'll get in the next episode, but, you know, why hasn't he gone along with this, mm-hmm. ultimately? Yeah. Um, because he did seem like a Doc's loyalist in that war room in episode one. Although, in previously on, the line they took from Brad from that scene was, this changes everything. And the line they took from Doc's yes, was, this changes true. nothing. <laughs> so uh, so while that wasn't exactly what happened in the scene, uh, they're taking that that line from him is his whole reason for, for going and his whole yeah. motivation to go to, to 1977. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that war room, you kind of get the sense that he is a Doc's loyalist. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You know? So yeah, like And then he, he changed he his was. mind. Yeah. So yeah, he was and then changed his mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I look, I, I'm in agreement with you guys. They, there's a lot on these first two episodes, because I know I wasn't here for the first episode mm-hmm. with you guys. But, like, even, it feels like there was some editing done post-final edit. <laughs> some choices made, if, if that makes sense. There's some... I feel that there's probably has been some f- scenes filmed, which is this kind of more exposition. Maybe. And for whatever yeah. reason, they just kind of were dropped... For what again? For whatever, because yeah, like there's a lot of doors opening and closing, and like there does feel like there should be, like you say, that dot matrix TV and the death of billions and billions of people. It, it's almost like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use another Disney property. There was a great disturbance in the forest felt, and like a billion people cried out at once, hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Like there should have been. More gravitas. Now we get it with Hunter P15. Like she does yeah. well up. Yeah. But people around her are kind of not. And the one, the one thing before we get to the actual scenes with Loki and Sylvie and the rest is we've seen the outside of the TVA, mm-hmm. like the, the city upon city where we've seen like cars flying about and things like that. But it still feels like there's just a couple of hundred people. But when you see the outside of the TVA, like when, say, Loki was running through in episode one, there's cars flying, there's, like, taxis. There's a city worth. There's, like, a couple of hundred thousand million people there working in the TVA. And it just still feels sometimes like there's... It's the mix of... You're still trying to show that there's a huge, massive operation... Mm-hmm. But then also, it's so small that, like, it's kind of like Warehouse 13, where there's only a couple of hundred people working on it, and it's still kind of a small thing, because you have everyone there at the, the on the level. Mm. It just sometimes, there's a disconnect in terms of the size of the consequence and the size of the operation to what we actually see, yeah. more just because of... The scoping and scale, it's a TV show. It's probably TV budget, absolutely. Yes. You know, and and I, I think just by having those scenes in the first episode, it establishes a size that we're never going to see. We're never going to see millions of people react to something here. Um, you know, and, and as I say, time works differently here. We're not going to see that kind of reaction as if it's a, a city with other things going on other than people working as the TVA. Do we not even hear from Obi in episode one that he, he's never slept and he's been there hundreds of years? Um, same with Mobius, that they just do their jobs effectively. Yeah. So yeah. this break in the TVA that's happened since the death of uh, He Who Remains is kept small. But again, I don't really know why the operation by Docs is 
so secret. I feel like there should have been some kind of way of describing how Docs was hiding the operation where everybody's jumping in and out of timelines from everybody else. Something. Yeah, yeah. because it's like you say about the disturbance in the Force, Chris, because, you know, in this episode, we've had uh, OB, you know, freaking out about the override of the system because of all these new branches mm-hmm. and you have effectively those branches being cut so does that mean that the temporal loom now is work. kind of being saved mm. you know so yeah. I, I think the other side of it is you know we might get that in the next episode mm. but and i hope so because i it feels to me like they're introducing certain things which i don't fully recall from the first season mm-hmm. around like with this temporal loom uh to me it was all about branches and and so on and so forth and now we've got this loom got a containment field and it can override mm-hmm. and it's where time it, it is um is created so you know what are the actions that docs is doing here how is that going to affect the yeah. the problem that Obi has got and maybe it will sort it all out and so on but i hope in the next episode you know we see the consequences of this pruning on a massive scale and how this is affecting ob because we don't get that here Mm -hmm. um and be like oh i thought you were terrorists taking out all the branches and and going against the plan that we'd all come up with oh actually you've sorted out the problem of of the loom exploding and killing everybody uh at the start of the next episode absolutely could be that um, yeah, yeah, it feels like there's a coup happening, but they haven't called it that. Mm. Do you know? Yeah, and it kind of feels like it's between Docs and the other people in the war room. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. So, yeah. But we, it's just not really being called out as sort of maybe just more simply. I think. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose if Docs is the one that's continuing on with the He Who Remains version of the TVA, the people who are in the coup are Loki and Mobius. Yeah. And yeah. B fifteen, etc. Yeah, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Again, hopefully that comes out uh, in the next episode. But there is a cool action sequence here, though. Yes. So for me, this I this was mwah. Like again, you do forget how cool Loki is in a battle, like with the knives and the magic, and then seeing Sylvie with her massive sword and her magic. Yeah. And just the the, the goddess and god of mischief, mm-hmm. and the tricksters. Doing what they do best. And again, seeing Loki in his suit and tie and just kind of, it, it was just as quick as it was, it was really good to see. Yeah, it, it was, was just cool. Yeah. A really nice, they had a couple of slow mo shots, which I'm always a fan of ever <laughs> since The Matrix. Uh, so just for me, this was a nice payoff towards the ends of the episode, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I yeah. like the little touch back to season one of the two of them holding hands together and it creating this blast that knocks out all of uh, all of uh, Dox's people. So uh, yeah. I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, and um, all the kit and stuff. Yeah, no, I, I like this. And it was, it was kind of uncompromising as well, you know, mm-hmm. that they were pruning some of Dox's men here as mm-hmm. well, as yeah. much as the equipment. It, you know, it, yeah. it felt really good. And I just say, small but perfectly formed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Really good. Uh, I like the little joke back to season one as well, where um, that was a big problem. What happens if the two of them touch each other? And uh, this time, uh, Sylvie just looks at Loki, goes, "Don't overthink it," and just grabs his hand, <laughs> and then that—that's yeah. where the explosion comes. So I thought that was quite a funny little gag, considering how central that thought was in season one. What happens if they meet each other? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good stuff. 
But even though Dox's plan succeeds, they do capture her and capture most of her men. We do hear uh, some of them did escape uh, into the timeline. Some of them did escape through those doors. Um, I thought it was quite interesting that they were pruning on this massive scale, this uh, this, um, pruning bomb that they were using across the branching timelines that was uh, effectively when it's let off inside a branch, it deletes the branch. Um, What we've seen in season one was you take the person out of the branch timeline that's caused it, you prune them, and then the branch goes back into the sacred timeline. But there seems to be this new weapon that they're using, which is this bomb that's just dropped and cuts the timeline. So that was quite interesting. I suppose it's like an an assassination to change the course of a country versus just taking out the country. Yeah. Yeah. And this takes out an (laughs) entire timeline and everything in that newly created galaxy, effectively, that's, that's there. So that's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and again, like you said, it, it, it's just showing the the scale of the, I suppose look, when you go when you go from what it was in season one, which was kind of everything needs to be ramped up, the danger, the action, mm-hmm. the the intrigue, the drama, and the weapons of mass destruction. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of it for the final point. Just the only other thing we we didn't mention uh, is just about Renslayer that. Um, they have found a hit on Renslayer's uh, tempad, so they have found yeah. her on the timeline, which was what uh, Casey was was tasked with. I Thanks. do like that scene. Yeah. Uh, it was a bit of a, a, a good comedy scene with him and uh, Hunter B-15, where she walks in and goes, have you found Renslayer yet? And he goes, shh, I haven't found her at all yet. And she goes, why are you whispering? He's like, it's a secret. Because why would it be a secret? <laughs> yeah. She tried to kill everybody, including me, put me into prison. Um, this is not a secret. She's on the run from the TVA. <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> thought that was a good gag. I like Casey. Uh, yeah, I like episode. Casey a lot. I like Casey a lot. Yeah. Uh, but they have found her. So that's, uh, that's well, I guess, where they're going uh, next episode yeah. is to go and find yeah. Renslayer. And Sylvia's gone back to the sacred McDonald's yes. timeline. Um, to sit on, her, on the hood of her truck and wait for her shift to begin the next day. Yes, and she becomes she who burns the mouth of younguns. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of who remains. Um, I think that's it, gents. Mm-hmm. So with all that said and done, shall we discuss our final thoughts of this episode? So question is, Derek, do you defend Loki Season 2, Episode 2, Breaking Brad? In the context of the series, that this is only two episodes into the series, um, it's okay I guess you have to watch it to get to the next episode. But um, yeah, this would be probably the lowest of the Loki episodes that I've seen. Didn't enjoy this one very much. Some some great moments in there, don't get me wrong, especially seeing Loki using magic when he's outside the TVA. That's something I've wanted to see more often uh, in the show. But uh, but overall, I've mentioned it way too much. The whole scenes in McDonald's really detracted from the show for me. Um, and yeah, a couple of other things that, that, uh, that didn't uh, really sit grace with me but uh but overall yeah i'd say if you stack up the eight episodes so far this is the the one that i disliked most uh so far and i hope the rest of the season can correct it i'm sure it can there's there's four more episodes to go i'm sure there isn't gonna be an episode as bad as this one in the rest of the run of the season uh there were some things that were required to continue the season but that's about all i could say for this one great stuff so you're a burger king man through and through john <laughs> Do you defend this episode of Loki Breaking Brad? Uh, yeah, I do defend this episode of Loki. I'd give it three key limes out of five. Um, I, I think for me, I really like the hub of this 
episode. As I said, I, you know, I don't want to be overly negative, uh, but I, I flip flop between kind of thinking this was good and then not being quite so fussed with it, mm. um, in the end. And I, I think, um, I think I enjoyed actually the character scenes in this between Mobius, Loki and Brad. I really enjoyed those all the way through. And I did like the first moments of, of Sylvie and, and Loki. Um, and I, I thought there was some really good music in this. I think for me, it just felt like some of the extraneous stuff needed to be brought out uh, a bit more to the fore, whether it was Dox's plan, uh, whether it was just the situation in the TVA, you know, these two factions, um, and less of the McDonald's. I mean, I, it's not that I'm against product placement, mm-hmm. but this seems to be like, slap bang in the middle you know McLoki product placement um, and I, I think certainly there's things in those scenes where I would have wanted a bit more of Loki and Sylvie having those conversations and um, I don't need to know about the lovely McDonald's meal it's great after a hangover um, you know so I think if we mention them one more time we're going to need to be well, sponsored by true. them well that so. is true that is true well you know uh, all publicity is good publicity, whatever it might be. So, you know, so I, I did enjoy this. Um, I felt as well. I love the Obi and Casey stuff, but again, I, I think there just needs to be a little bit more here. Um, mm-hmm. but again, it might come in the next episode and I might be proved like the wrong in that. So that, and I hope so. Um, cause I did enjoy this episode. Um, it was, it just, but it just didn't grab me if you know what yeah. I mean. Uh, so, yeah, I'd give it three key limes out of five. Christopher, do you defend episode two of Loki breaking Brad? I do. Uh, I'm very much like you. I'm like kind of halfway point. It, it, like it, it wasn't the greatest episode. I There was things to like. There was things to dislike. is too strong of a word, but there's things I just did not get. And I don't understand the choices. I'm not going to go through the points again that we've already kind of discussed. So I think very much for me, it's kind of like, I'm interested to see as we go into episode three, where they go with this. Will this show get better each and every episode or is it kind of have we lost the highs of season one? I don't think we're there yet. I think we're, we're going to be, I think, I think this is a speed bump. We'll call it that or mm. a pothole, depending on we're either going up or we're going down. Either way, it was not the smooth sailing that I think everyone expects with a Tom Hiddleston venture. It was certainly a pothole after episode one. Really enjoyed episode one. Was ready for a, a good adventure. And I think, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll uh, sort itself out in the next episode. It will. And we'll be back on to our journey into mystery. Excellent. Excellent. There we are. Gentlemen, I think it's about time we go and listen to what some of our fellow defenders have to say about this episode. With their feedback, we kick it off with an email from the one and only, yes, Victor Timely Fondue. <laughs> oh, I like it. Timely. It's a very, it's a good moniker. Absolutely. Victor, this to say, greetings, fellow variants. I love the OB and Casey Geekhead scene. Tom and Owen scenes together are golden. Loved Loki reminding us who he really is. X5 never stood a chance against him, and talking about his mother was a big no-no. Was that overgrown Hoover Loki used on X5? Hilarious. (laughs) Love Obi's mantra. 
RTFM. Read the effing manual. <laughs> the Loki Sylvie reunion was somewhat anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. Yes to Janice Joplin. Looking forward to the podcast feedback and episode three. Excelsior, Victor. Timely. Van Doom. Fantastic, Victor. Yes, the, the closing uh, music in the episode was um, Cosmic Blues uh, by Janice Joplin. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, I thought he were going for like Sylvie's haircut. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, firmly based in the 80s, uh, mullet style. Yeah. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. So it should be firmly put back there. And anyone who wears a mullet right now should be pruned from the timeline. Excellent. Good to know. Although I feel like if she turned around, the mullet would actually just be a big M in the back of her head. Da, 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 da. We're not talking about this anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Victor. It was great to hear from you. Yeah, good stuff, Victor. Um, I totally agree. I think uh, Loki and Sylvie could have had a bit more of a reunion um, in uh, somewhere in 1982, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom and Owen scenes, and for me, along with X5, really, really good together. I think they really do marry up nicely. And I really enjoyed that about this episode. So great stuff. Thanks, Victor. Absolutely. Thanks, Victor. Uh, we also got an email in from Coffee and Vodka who says, Greetings, fellow massacred on mass defenders. Wow, this had me smiling from ear to ear until actually panicking for the timelines. In short, this episode played me like a fiddle. So well plotted with dialogue, the charmed and such mesmerizing chemistry. X5, Brad, meshed and clashed with Mobius and Loki like a pro, immediately distinguishing himself as a major player, much like Obi. And that initial chase, again, wow. Just when you thought we'd never again see our old Loki with all his magic and menace, as he himself said, spot on. Speaking of menace, General Dox turning it up to an instantaneous 11 <laughs> with her massive Nazi-esque la- lightning strike, obliterating timelines and countless lives. Sylvie's not-quite-return felt natural. She'd finally found her peace and was pissed to have it threatened. All of it gave off such phase one feelings and thrills. Even the episode title was epic. They had some serious fun with this one. Standing ovation from me. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Five unfair fights, decimated dimensions, and OB autographs out of five. Peace and take care. Coffee and vodka. Good stuff, coffee and vodka. Um, Really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely really glad you enjoyed it. And to be honest, you pulled out a lot of what I um, enjoyed as well, whether it is seeing um, Loki... Uh, returning with his magic and menace mm-hmm. and the the X5, Mobius and Loki sort of scenes. I thought they were really, really good. I think I just probably wasn't played uh, like a fiddle just as much as uh, as much as you were, <laughs> say. So, um, but yeah, no, good right. stuff. Um, and yeah, interesting you say about the phase one feelings. I think I can see what you mean by that for sure, yeah. Yeah, thanks. I wasn't played like a fiddle. Well, I was played like a fiddle, but I'm actually a set of drums. Um, so that's kind of <laughs> why it was slightly off. Uh, but thanks for the feedback, coffee and vodka. And again, this is why we love it. You, you do kind of, you, you bring up something uh, quite interesting again. We even say the, the, the Nazi-esque lightning strike. Just didn't think about that. Um, yeah, she yeah. really was going all blitzkrieg um, yeah. on the timeline. It was General Docs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you're totally right uh, as well. Uh, Brad really stands out as a great character in this season. I'm hoping to see more of him uh, in the future episodes because his his battling back and forth with Loki and B-15 and Mobius and then 
just that one-on-one with Loki, I thought were fantastic scenes. Really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Thanks, Victor. Um, over on our Facebook group, uh, Dr. Bob Phillips says, Casey really stepped up in this episode and it's overdue recognition. Wasn't it lovely to see him get all excited when he met the scribe of his book of life? <laughs> the call out of the squishy cube interrogation technique being torture was interesting, as we've seen similar done frequently without any mention of its unsettling truth. Mm. Might have been even better if it had led to a completely blind alley, which I think sits more firmly with how useful the approaches are. And I think the show is a redemption arc for Loki. But mischief gods never quite settle on good or evil for too long, do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, uh, Dr. Bob. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think Casey, yeah, having his uh, sort of autograph moment or trying to get his autograph. But I think Hunter B-15 successfully pruned that geek out and the autograph uh-huh. in, in his book by effectively telling him to stop because there's other pressing matters mm-hmm. uh, to attend to. And so, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, I think you raise an interesting thing. Maybe the interrogation shouldn't have been as successful as it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Torture uh, doesn't usually provide uh, a yeah. real answer. Um, I yeah. guess he was just going to be kind of, you know, a birthday surprise out of the box. Hi, happy birthday. <laughs> Here's your answer. Um, good stuff. Uh, thanks, Dr. Bob, for your thoughts. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Bob. Also on Facebook, Heather Wallace says, if ever a concept demonstrated the differences in branching timelines, it's that a McDonald's apple pie ever tasted good. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, excellent stuff. Although I think I do disagree at some point. If, well... Once the burns had subsided. Mm-hmm. Um, not in this reality, that's for sure, uh, continues Heather. Is Sylvie sporting a mullet? That alone is justification to prune her branch. Didn't spot any Loki hair flips this episode. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Yes. Uh, branch pruning for all uh, mullet timelines, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Heather. You and I are going to get on well together. <laughs> it is death to the mullets timelines. And I, I, I'm personally saying like that that those apple pies were good. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, we're remembering differently. But I'm, I'm, maybe it was Irish versus American McDonald's. Who knows? I'm with you, Heather. I'll take somebody another apple pie <laughs> over the uh, McDonald's one any day of the week. It was the pure <laughs> fakeness of it, though. It That's great. why it's exactly. terrible. And you, you, your mum made great apple no, pies. No, I, I John, love a normal apple a pie apple. as well, but there was just something like so wrong, <laughs> aye, but aye. so right. Oh my god! If we say apple pie one more time, well, at least we've stopped saying the M word. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next piece of feedback <laughs> comes from Joe Herbers, who had this to say: "Great actors in this show. See." Fun seeing our duo again and the others. Overall, I didn't like this episode as much as the first. The pacing felt off. The multiple interrogation scenes of X5 were too long, which detracted from the urgency of the overall episode. I have a question. In order for X5 to live the Brad life on the sacred timeline, wouldn't something have to happen to the original Brad there so that X5 could step into the celebrity life? Did he kill him? Near the end of the episode, is there a reason they couldn't show up a bit sooner to stop the rogue TVA? Not sure how the whole timey-wimey stuff works here. Thanks, Joe. Um, 
Well, yeah, probably. Like, let's say, like, X5 probably did kill Brad on the Sacred. No. I don't know which. <laughs> <laughs> no. King Brad. Yeah. No, Brad Wolf is Brad Wolf. Uh, that is uh, the, the what X5 took on. We don't know how long he's been there, so he could have been establishing his career as Brad Wolf for a while. Yeah. Or he's Brad Wolf's son because, much like Kingo, he doesn't age. <laughs> <laughs> but effectively, um, what we have heard from this, and this is this was really good speculation after the first episode of the show. This the newly introduced time loom that happens is it knits the timeline back together when something unusual happens. Yeah, so um, so it's knitting it into one sacred timeline. And interestingly, this was used to explain how Captain America Steve Rogers went back and lived a life with. Um, with Agent Carter um, back in the 50s after the end of Endgame. He went back, the timeline knitted itself back together into one sacred timeline. I am going to have to get my old knitting patterns out because this is getting (laughs) way too knitty for me. Well, yeah. Yeah. So that's basically it. So Brad may have appeared at some point, set up his career, and then the timeline knitted him back into the timeline. doesn't necessarily have to kill a variant of himself. so that's, but it would be cool if he did. <laughs> yeah, but I ultimately like he did yeah, kill him. I, I feel like that's probably not the way uh, Marvel Disney will go with it, that he uh, killed Maybe not. and yeah. stuffed, him in a, stuffed him in a dumpster, and it was all fine. Uh, nobody noticed uh, yeah. <laughs> as he went on. Yeah, and the timey-wimey stuff, it, it, I think that's an important thing as well, because, yes, I kind of felt that they could move through those portals to different points in time mm-hmm. through the Tempad. Um, so... Technically, yeah, I think you may be right. They could have just gone earlier, but then we would have had no action scene. Well, true, true. But there is something, though. They did say that the TVA sits out of time. So technically, that moment in season one where we have Loki slipping through to the past and and slipping forward to the future, that shouldn't be able to happen at all within the TVA. That's why they had the whole process of pulling him from all timelines and creating Loki there as just one version. Um so technically, they're not using time travel within the TVA because there is no time there. Is that yeah, that makes but sense. But they're also outside of the time on the sacred timeline. So I think timey wimey is slightly broken. But TVA aren't on any timeline. They're not on the sacred yes. timeline or a branch timeline or anything like that. They're just exists. So it depends where yeah. Docs maybe is conducting her attack on the branches. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. maybe they could jump like into the branches the- before they blow up the branches to stop what happens there yeah. but they can't jump in and out of time on the tva i think is yeah. the way yeah. it would work yeah um it was probably explained and we missed it but it might be. or it wasn't and we just assume yeah because certainly where docs is it certainly wasn't in the tva it didn't look like it oh, okay. it looked quite like it had rafters and wooden beams it looked almost you know like uh dare i say it you could say it it's a norse Hall well, there you go. If it wasn't in the TVA, then absolutely they should have just jumped to the point where she started like the operation um, and and uh, could have just wiped it out. Good stuff. Yeah, another another little plot hole for episode two. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> um, it's a bit Swiss With- cheesy, uh, like the old yeah. Swiss cheese that used to be on uh, M Burgers back in the eighties. Uh, mm. Good stuff. Thanks once again for all your feedback. You can continue to email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with any thoughts you have on Loki. You can also join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. We'll be back uh, with Loki next week, but we are also covering the boys spinoff Gen V. We're on to episode six this week on Prime Video. Uh, six of eight, only a couple more episodes left yeah. to go. And it has mm. been, while very different to the other shows that we're covering, 
a fantastic show. Yes, <laughs> been really it's good. Been really good. It's been one of the best shows this year. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're just joining us for Loki, we will be back next week with episode three and our discussions. Fingers crossed there is no corporate sponsorship or maybe we will get that elusive blockbuster sponsorship that I needed so much back in the day. No, they had that back in uh, Captain Marvel, Chris. In the Marvels, they're going to have like a Coca-Cola space shuttle or something. (laughs) I'm I'm sure. All right, guys, thank you so much, and we'll speak to you again next week. Yes, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for listening. As always, great to chat all things Loki. Until next time, though, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending it. Oh, God. Nice. Very terrible. I can't even edit that out. Bye. Because that was perfect. Bye. Bye.